The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Apps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by a project manager who lists their favourite movie as The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and favourite TV show as Sons of Anarchy. Welcome back to the show, Ben Davis. Yeah, that's it. Should be fun. Yep, so uh, today we're getting into the spirit of the Tour de France, which, when this episode airs, will have just started by reviewing the Netflix documentary series Tour de France Unchained. Uh, This is a Netflix documentary series produced by the same team that made Formula One Drive to Survive and follows a very similar structure where we spend a bit of time with individual teams, individual riders, and then also... Whilst doing that, we kind of get the overarching story of the full tour itself. What did you think of this one before we sort of break it down? I think you can definitely tell it's the same team as the Formula One team. It is, it's really good. Like it, it does everything well without bogging down in details. You end up learning everything you need to know without it being smacked over the head like other documentaries. <laughs> like the, the last time we... We spoke where they told us the same 15 things about tennis and golf. Correct. Yeah, this one, they really don't sort of come back to the same point over and over again. It's kind of like, it's a team sport. This is what this jersey means. I don't think they, they only break down the yellow and green jersey, don't they? I don't think they broke down like into the polka dot and into the white jersey and like the red numbers and all that sort of stuff. They just give you the the top level stuff that a casual viewer would need and know. Yeah, that's fine. Like, who outside of the cycling fraternity knows that there's a polka dot jersey? Yeah, if you're, if you're not watching the tour every year, you're going to see that polka dot jersey and just be like, okay. Like, I watch the tour almost every year, and I only just found out maybe a couple of years ago there was a white jersey. Like, <laughs> I didn't even realize that there was another 25s. I imagine you found out about that because of Tade Pagacha when he was Correct. essentially wearing both the yellow and the white jersey. Yep. What a freak of a human being that guy is. Uh, I've known about him for about four years and just been like following his Instagram and stuff. He is a psycho. He is just crazy, mental. Like, oh. Yeah, you mentioned you watch the tour every year. How long have you been watching it? And sort of, does this show make you want to go back and watch this upcoming race as well? Yeah, I've been watching it for probably my whole life. Like, my dad watched it every year when we were growing up. So it was just sort of a, as I was growing up, it was always on when it was when it was on. It was always the tour was on. So mm-hmm. let's watch the tour, and then the next day you'd watch the highlights and that sort of stuff. Sort of stopped watching it when I went to to uni, and but still kept like kept in touch with, oh uh, yeah, who, who's riding and who's doing that. And in the last sort of yeah five years or so since I've been back in Oz, again I probably don't sit down and watch it every night, but I, I'll check the results and I'll watch the highlights where possible, and and sort of keep a finger on it. Started getting into it a little bit more, and yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, the time definitely makes it difficult 
here in Australia that's usually starting at nine, ten o'clock at night and then running to the early hours of the morning. So the I used to sit up and watch those oh, I know. super late nights every night for a month, which was not the greatest health-wise, yeah, but sucks. enjoyable. But now I've kind of got into, especially with SBS On Demand, like you just wake up in the morning and you can just chuck on the, the highlights from the night before. You don't have to kind of be beholden to a TV schedule of, oh, okay, I've got to be up at seven to watch the, the highlights from the night before. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. And to be honest, they're getting up at nine, ten o'clock to watch it. It's a four-hour race. And a lot of it is just watching a peloton ride through a field. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of tactics and all that that I know about, but let's be honest, it's just a peloton riding through a field for an hour and a half to two hours, and then you get someone attacking on a hill or or doing a crazy downhill, and it starts to get interesting. But yeah, I don't need to watch that. Yeah, I find now I will pick and choose which stages I'm going to wake up for and watch those watch those key mountain stages live right through but then the rest the time trials are always good to watch and yeah and then the rest you kind of just you don't need to see it most of it except for the the final couple of yeah kilometers 20 30 kilometers is about the, the main part and i found when i was watching every stage live for a while there it was it was less so about watching for watching the race sake it was kind of to get all those aerial shots and like it's basically a giant advertisement and postcard for french tourism yeah, and I think it. You've just hit on it there, and I'll just mention it now. But I think it's part. That's part of the reason that it works, and the same reason that Formula One works, is that they're in exotic locations, and they're in like watching those shots on the mountain. It's a cool shot. Like, yeah, there's a, a bike race going on, but it's nice. It's awesome to look at, and it's really good to look at. Whereas, like, Formula One's really good to look at because it's cars going a million miles an hour in Monte Carlo, like. Mm-hmm. It's really, or yeah, or a million miles an hour in Las Vegas. Like, it's really cool to look at. Whereas the tennis one, yeah, it had some cool locations and it was, I I really liked the tennis one. It was done really well. But then the golf one, it's just a flat field. Yeah, it's just a bunch of golf courses. Yeah, that pains me to say it, but it doesn't have the same impact. Like, it's a guy swinging a club. It's not a guy on a bicycle doing 100Ks down a hill with a 400 meter drop off to the left like mm. or it's not a car going 600 kilometers an hour down a straight sort of thing like it just doesn't have that and this is what i think works in this this tour de france one is that it has that oh there's an actual like consequence to screwing this up like these guys really are pushing it to the limit like by that that episode where he um when i followed the english guy i've forgotten his name and he's doing like he made like two or three minutes up downhill, like, which is just unheard of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the young bloke. Yeah. That's, he was flying down those hills and with a, yeah, like a rock wall on one side and a, I don't know, an endless cliff on the other, and he's just banging it down there. <laughs> yeah, and I think the show does a great job of sort of capturing that visual aesthetic of what watching the tour is like. We get a lot of those cool helicopter shots over the mountains and stuff like that and the fields but you also mentioned it really does capture the danger like immediately the first episode they focus on uh Jakobsen who is yeah. coming back from a absolutely devastating crash that was brutal <laughs> that crash was mental into the barriers and like what punctured lung and fractures to his face 
the first time we see him, he's like he's recovered, but he's still covered in scars, and he's got the the intubation tube in his neck was like yeah. the most noticeable and shocking. But they they mentioned in that crash where he got pushed into the barriers, he lost ten teeth, got one hundred and thirty stitches, fractured his skull, and was pretty much on the verge of dying. Yeah, that's and they go back to it through the series, and you're just like, oh wow, these like. I think that's what draws you in is that they're actually, they're playing for keeps. They're not, if they screw up, they're going to get hurt. Whereas other sports that maybe didn't have the same impact in this documentary, there's, there's no physical consequence and it, it, it's hard to get people to buy into it when there's no, yeah, cool. He's really good. He can hit a shot from one side of the court to the other and hit a line, or he can hit a 150 meter golf shot to within three feet. That what's the, like, what's the danger for that? Whereas the two that really work, the Formula One and this one. Yeah, the danger is you could die. <laughs> yeah, the consequence for not competing at the highest level in golf and tennis is you just don't make as much money. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Whereas this one and the Formula One, like if you get to this highest level and you're slightly off your game, you could die. This mm. is serious business. And every every day is treated that way with the sprint races. It's all or nothing let's if we win oh. we win if not we've achieved nothing and we could possibly face serious consequences and the guy the, i think they did really well those those mid mid table teams that just have a sprinter and they're just going for sprint stages they did really well of going okay these are the six stages we can win we need to do everything we can to win one of these six stages if we don't <clears throat> we're gone like our sponsors are gone we won't be in the tour next year like this is it. And it showed like how they positioned the, um, the domestiques and their, their other guys. And then their sprinter just launches. And it's from there, it's just straight up hell on, fast as you can get. And it's just a war, like people banging into others and like hitting the handlebars and whatever else. And yeah, it, it's, they did really well. And like while doing that, they also did a great job of sort of explaining the consequences for those teams on those mountain stages as well. Like, yeah. I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realize with the mountain stages that it's not just, oh, if I'm not going to win, I'll just take my time and cruise through. Like you have a minimum time that you have to hit. Yeah. What was it 37 minutes or whatever? And you made it by like 16 seconds or something. Yeah. It ends up being like, it's a different, different time window every stage because they base it on like a percentage of the, the winning time and depending on how hard the stage is. Yeah. The, yeah. The, bigger that percentage is but yeah to see this guy like just punishing himself just to scrape in that elimination window is just nuts well the the one that got me with that is that the guys that they just showed it for a second but they were doing the thing you do when it's a really steep hill and they're going across the hill oh zigzagging doubling the distance they have to go just so it's not quite as steep yeah i was like these guys are professional athletes professional cyclists and it's so steep that they have to zigzag I was like, wow, that's that's a really cool shot of so showing how bloody hard this stage really is. Yeah, because you watch those Pogachars and the guys at the front just cruising up like it's nothing and then they'll Oh yeah. I saw one year a couple of guys like did a track stand halfway up the hill, like they just s- stood there and balanced. I was like, Are you nuts? It's just And then yeah. this guy's like, I'm just struggling to even yeah. get up. Like, I wanna get up and walk, but I'm not allowed. <laughs> yeah, if I could do that, I would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You watch 
Pogachar and um, Bindigard. Is it Bindigard? And Roglic. And they just they, they go up it like it's and Roglic and the the French guy that of Gadou. And they just it's like it's well, it's like I was going to say it's flat, but not quite like that. But it's just like it's a normal hill. And so you're like, oh yeah, I could do that. And then you watch the rest of the peloton come up. And you're like, oh, hang on. <laughs> oh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe no. Yeah, and then you watch the sprinters come up, and you're like, oh, it's really steep. <laughs> I'd be one of those guys. <laughs> and then you get like the aerial shot of like this crazy zigzagging road that's like essentially up a vertical cliff. And you're like, what? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Like I've driven some of those roads to get to the ski fields, and I remember driving one of them going, pretty sure this is like a road that they do in the Tour de France. And I was like, the bus is struggling to get up this. But <laughs> The bus has foot to the floor and we're crawling. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's just, that's what just makes the tour. So makes it so much different to the Giro d'Italia. Like it, it's just got that, I don't know, that, that the, the difficulty and the, the intense, like it's, yeah, it's crazy. And then they throw in the cobbles and then they throw in the um, Champs de Lycée and like the Arc de Triomphe and it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. There's an aura about the tour that I don't think any other race can capture, even no. the Giro and the Volta. And it's free. Spectators are free. Yeah. That's the crazy part. All the money comes from just pure sponsorships and TV rights. Yeah, which is just. Like, I was like, I knew it was free to go and stand on the edge of the stage, but I was like, surely it'd be at the start and finish line or even at the, the Arc de Triomphe stuff. And they're just like, nah, it's free. You can come to the finish line. And they're like, huh. Yeah. It's like, what? How are we making money off this? But they do. 2023, and you can go to a sporting event like that for free is, yeah, that's, that's special. And then for the show, like eight episodes, about 40 minutes an episode, what did you think of sort of that decision rather than doing? real long hour episodes like some of these weren't even 40 minutes some of them yeah. were like barely scraping 30 which was interesting personally coming from my experience i thought that was brilliant that was absolutely perfect they nailed exactly what needed to be shown in the show and just moved on yep there was no filler there was no trying to trying to make them get to the standard hour episodes that they're meant to be these days it was here's what we want to say here's our summary of it there you go. Goodbye. I loved it. It was, it was awesome. Each episode was ex exactly as long as it needed to be. Like yeah. if we only needed 32 minutes to tell your story, that's all you got. If we needed 48, you got 48. So I thought that was a great choice. Yeah, that was, it, it fit the premise of the show. Like if it was a long mountain stage that took six hours, it was a 42, 43, 45 minute show. If it was a 112 kilometer sprint race, 25, 35 minutes. Like it, it was a good cadence with what was happening in the tour at the time. So I think it worked well for that too. And I did like, they also only featured eight of the potential 22 teams as well. Like yeah, they have left themselves a lot of material to come back for future seasons, which they've already confirmed is coming back for a second season, focusing on this year's coming tour. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like it, um, it didn't try and show everything. It didn't try and be like, okay, you need to know everything about the tour. Here's every episode telling you everything about every tour, and it's just like, okay, for this tour, we're showing you Jumbo Visma. They have Vindegar and Rogic. They're a weird team because they have two leaders. 
Yeah, which never works. No. Luckily, luckily Roger crashed at the start. And so, yeah. And then that was it. And they were like, we have two leaders. Oh, look, in the second, I think it's the second or the third race, Roglic crashed. So we went, okay, we're putting all our eggs in Vinegar's basket. Oh, we've also got this mad sprinter that loves winning stages as well, by the way. And he's causing friction in our team. Yeah, I loved that too, where they didn't like sugarcoat anything. Like they went, yeah, there's clearly some tension here. Like all of these guys are at the top of their game. And as any athlete, they all want to win. But some guys have that domestic role, which I loved that they, they explained that really well as well. I think they needed to. I think that's one of those things that unless you are a hardcore cyclist, you have no idea what a domestic is. Yeah, you see this this team of eight or ten or whatever it is and only ever two of them win. It's like, what? Yeah, and I think it is, it's a really important role and I think it's really important that you know what it is, especially if they're going to dive into it because it is, it is a vital role for that, uh, the, the leader. One thing I noticed too, being someone that watches the tour every year, the one thing about this sport that really annoys me is the team changes. Like, it's not like soccer where it's, this is Manchester United, this is Chelsea, mm. and the sponsor changes. The team is named after the major sponsor. So, like, every year... It's a different team. It could be the same team, but they just have a totally different name, totally different kit. Yeah. Know? What? That, that, that frustrates me, but... It's what happens when you don't sell tickets, so... <laughs> yeah, everything is relying on those sponsor numbers. Yeah. You, are, you mentioned the cobblestone episode as well the footage they got for that was absolutely mental like the the onboard gopro footage that shows just how hard how ridiculous and difficult those stages are like no no thank you i don't know how often your your listeners or yourself have ridden road bikes and stuff but you ride a road bike and you pump the tires up to what they're at and you go riding on your normal asphalt road and it bounces around like crazy oh yeah it's rough as hell I couldn't imagine what it would be like on a cobblestone. It's no wonder like so many riders pull out the day after that stage or mid-stage. Where like, yeah. The fact that they go over cobblestones. And I think there was a, a rider one or two years ago was he fell like the day before the cobbles fractured his collarbone and then rode the cobblestone stage the next day. I was like, you are insane. I don't know how you're doing that. Well, who was it? Roglic? Someone in the this documentary did it they they broke it on the cobbles and he finished the stage i was like mm -mm, pass no not a chance as soon as i broke my collarbone I'm like i'm done not riding on those those again not a chance broke my collarbone on the normal road might be like yeah i'm done i'm out that's enough yeah especially on a road bike with the, yeah. the way it's all positioned and seated oh you just got so much weight into your arms and shoulders like oh no and then like seeing how filthy they are at the end of the cobblestone stage too. Like it's, it's a totally different level of the sport. It's like being a mountain biker on a road bike. It's crazy. They're just, they're covered head to toe in dirt and grime and blood and whatever else. And like speaking of the mountain biking, you mentioned that young rider that sort of transitioned across. Like I think they did a good job of explaining that too, where these guys don't necessarily all start as road races. Like, yeah, you have guys come from mountain bike or uh, the the cross sport one where they do like part mountain bike, part a uh, oh yeah yeah road race stuff, and it's like to transition over and that guy transitioning over actually paid off on the the mountain stages because coming downhill 
totally different freakish athlete. Completely different lines. You're watching him chase them, and he's just taking he's taking a um car racing line into some of those corners, whereas the other guys were. They were doing, obviously, they were still doing race line, but it's not quite the same. Not to the extremes that he was. Yeah. He was right on the edge every time. Yeah, that was, I was watching that just going, geez, I know that he doesn't crash because I've watched the tour, but am I sure that he doesn't crash? <laughs> and that's when you know, like, these documentaries have like, nailed it too, where we know the outcomes. We, mm. we know who's, who wins. We know the, the ups and downs, but to get you so invested that you're like, wait a second, does he, like, is, is he about to crash? I actually had to Google in about episode four or five. I was like, Vindegaard wins this right. I'm pretty sure he wins this one. Pogacar just won the last two and then, yeah, yeah, he does. And then I had to, I had to Google it because the documentary did such a good job of being like, Pogacar never gives up and he always attacks and he always gets you here and he always does that. And I was like, does he get this? I can't remember if he gets this or not. <laughs> yeah so yeah it, yeah it did really good and i love that they do a good job with like pogachar's not featured like properly he doesn't do any interviews or anything because apparently his team turned it down but they, they still do a good job of giving you an insight into his character and like mm. showing how much of a freakish athlete and competitive guy he is to push so far honestly if it, your listeners or anyone don't know who he is and want to learn more, go and Google him because like his, his workouts and what he rides and does all that sort of stuff will blow your mind. Like it is just insane. And yet to win the tour as an under 25 rider, winning both the white and yellow jerseys was, I think he was one of the, the first people to do that. Uh, no, there's four. It's Jan Ulrich. Oh, Jan Ulrich. Because I don't think Lance did it. Lance was older when he won. Yeah. Well, it takes a while for drugs to get into your system. <laughs> Speaking of the drugs. How's the team manager? Were you shocked that, what's his name, Jonathan Vortes was so open about, yep, I did that shit. Yeah. And he goes, that's the whole reason he's got a team. He's like, it got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And he's like, what was he saying? He was saying something when he was like, he won a stage or whatever. And he was like, that was when I was at my peak uh, drug taking. And I was like, pardon? What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was on that U.S. Postal team. Yep, he was using erythropoietin or EPO from 1996 to 2000 as part of the Santa Clara and U.S. Postal racing teams alongside Lance Armstrong. And yeah, he was so open about it. He doesn't try and hide the fact that yeah we did that shit. And now my whole team is outspoken and totally against it to try and yeah change the sport and clean up the sport, which is. It's nice to see that sort of there has been that shift in mentality among some of the top people in the sport. Yeah, now there is as good. Because I think that Lance thing tarnished the sport pretty badly. Yeah. I was sort of a little a little surprised that they allowed I mean it wasn't a big thing and it did set a uh, it foreshadowed him a little bit but that they allowed mention of Armstrong in it. Mm-hmm. Cuz there's a bit of a, a it's a taboo subject in cycling at the moment, or not at the moment, but you just... Since the whole revelations came out? Mm, you just don't talk about it. It's like from 1997 to 2002 or whatever it was, just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Cycling didn't exist in that, that time period. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess the only sort of saving grace for that is, like, because this is obviously targeting, like, casual viewers, 
yeah, everyone knows it. So everyone knows Lance Armstrong. Like it's a name that if they didn't mention, it would probably stand out more than. True. Let's just quickly mention it and move past it. And they did it well in that they did it as a, well, who the hell is this guy? Why is he talking to me? Like he knows what he's talking about. And he's like, yeah, because at that time I was writing for your poster with Lance and I was at my doping. You're like, ah, okay, maybe he does know what he's talking about. And yet that sort of then all builds into the whole like, personal mental battles with the sport as well. Like the guys at the top, they obviously want to win all the time, but then you have people like Wout Van Aert who is this crazy sprinter that also gets tasked with, you need to look after Vindegaard. It's like, yeah. yeah, but I also want to win. And we see those. He was my favorite. Mental struggles. And it's a sport built around teamwork, but also built around individual goals, which makes cycling sort of pretty unique, I think. I fully agree. Yeah. It makes it um very unique. There isn't, I don't think there is one, a sport like that where you're, you're on a team, but your goal is to get one person to win. Yeah. I guess it's baseball is like a little bit similar and cricket a little bit like when you're batting, you're kind of just got to focus on yourself, but you're also overall the, the big picture in the end of it is for the team to win. See, I think that's the, that's the other way in that if you do well, your team does well, as opposed to in cycling, if your team does well, you'll do well. And that I think is the difference between it and other sports is that like cricket for a perfect example. If you have Steve Smith and Labuschagne both go out there and score hundreds, Australia's probably going to win. Mm-hmm. doesn't really matter what the rest of the team does. We're probably going to win. Whereas in cycling, if Vindegaard does really well by himself, he's probably not going to win because the other teams will go and attack him and they'll do it as a team. They'll burn you out like they did with Pogacar. Exactly. I was just about to say they'll do it like they did to Pogacar and they'll just attack and then they'll attack and then they'll attack and then they'll attack. I think it. it flips it as opposed to other team sports. Like even soccer, if the striker has a, a brilliant game, you're probably going to win. Whereas you don't, the, he doesn't get any accolades from it. He doesn't get, oh, yes, uh, let's just use an example. Messi won the game. Messi won the game, but PSG gets the points. Yeah. Whereas in cycling, like the, the was it episode six or whatever, where Woke Van Aert pushes himself to breaking point to give Vinegar that help up that hill. Mm-hmm. Vinegar gets the points. He gets the plus two minutes on Pogacar. He gets all of that. Walt Van Ant's almost dead. He's, like, he's almost killed himself. He's just crawling up the mountain to fin- just finish the stage. And all the accolades go to Vinegar. And we, obviously within the team and everything, it goes, yeah, yeah, yes. But no one outside of the team knows that Walt Van Ant did all of that. And then he doesn't get the points. Jumbo Visma doesn't get the points. Vinegar gets the minutes. Whereas in other sports, yeah, cool. Um, Patois uh, makes 25 saves. Patois had a really good game. But PSG, uh, who's Patois play for? Um, yeah, PSG. Madrid. Madrid. Madrid gets the point. I think he's at Madrid now. I don't know. He's all, he's. Oh, I can't remember anymore. He left. We we don't we don't we don't focus on him anymore. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's just a different in that if in other sports if one person does well the team gets points, but in this one if, if one person does if the team does well. Only one person gets points. Yeah, I guess that's true with the overall standings. Like people remember two winners as individuals, not yeah. oh, US Postal won six tours in a row. Like no, Lance won six tours in a row. Lance won exactly. Yeah. And I loved that we didn't focus on like 
just the top teams as well. We got a lot of uh, focus on FDJ and AG2R as well. I think it did a good job of introducing those those mid tier teams and how like on the razor's edge they all are. Of if we don't win these couple of stages that we have a chance in, we may not be around. And then it also focused on FDJ, like it encapsulated their whole story where they always have this great hope of we're going to have the next tour winner. Ideally, he'll be a French rider, but then they always seem to just fall a little bit short because of the immense pressure that's put on them. Yeah, it did a really good job of capturing all that. And it did a really good job of the managers just really riding the riders and going, come on, like get there. And like uh, if they did something, on, they were really riding the emotions and, and getting into it. And it, yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, I think that's something this show gives us that you don't get on the live tour coverage. You get that inside the support vehicles view mm. and that perspective. That's a that's a perspective that I haven't sort of seen before, which is very cool to see. Yeah, neither. I didn't. I mean, obviously, I knew there were support cars and knew they had managers and that sort of stuff, but I didn't realize that they were so. Like constantly in communication. Yeah. Another sort of gripe I had with the show was, sadly, we didn't get any of the Aussie commentary team, which I guess makes sense since it was a, a French-produced show. But the uh, some of those uh, voiceover dubs that they did, <laughs> wow, were they cheesy and not good. Yeah, they were terrible, some of those. they were, Some of them were bad, but yeah. I don't think they hired actors. I think they just hired regular people because yeah, some of them felt like they were just reading off a script. There was no emotion in it. And it made the show feel less like premium, which I was disappointed by. Like there was one point they even got a team name wrong. Did you pick up on that? Oh, I missed that. One of the dubs, they're supposed to say AG2R and they said AGR2. And I heard it and I went, wait, that wasn't right. What? <laughs> Rewound yeah, and played it again. I was like, "Oh, how did they? Mm, how did good. nobody like pull that up in editing and be like, oh, can we just re-record that because you stuffed up a team name?'" Let's go do that one again. Which a a team manager would not do. He would get the team name right. Yes, uh, considering he'd be the manager of the team, I would hope that he'd get his own team right. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of gripes about it. There was one or two, but I would have liked him to explain the final stage a little bit more and how they. Yeah, well, even how they've tried to, they've actually tried to get rid of it previously and now they've just given up for the last 12 years. Like they've had the time trial as the final one and they've, oh, yeah. they've tried to do things thinking that it'll make it better and have just settled on, no, this is what makes it too special. That you just drink champagne for the first half and then you just let the sprinters go nuts in the second half. Like, mm-hmm. whereas I, I think that's a cool thing of the tour and that no other tour does. Um, I just, I think they could have dived. I know that. We were just saying earlier that the great thing was that they didn't dive into everything, but I think that final that final episode could have done maybe just just a quick. This is the history of the final stage. Yeah, a little bit more ex- explanation of the history of it. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're getting sports fans watching it that don't really know about cycling, because most sports fans would be like, "Well, why the hell would you not? It's a stage. Go pump like Pogacar. You've got two minutes to make up. Just go and like try and get it." Yeah, I guess. No other team would let that happen. They would just be right on your ass as soon as you took off. But nope. But that's that's what I mean. Like, explain that it's this. I know they said it's a gentleman's agreement. You don't do it. But maybe they could have just gone. In the past, it 
it, it has been tried to be made a stage and nobody wanted to do it. And then they tried to make it a time trial and it was just a terrible because people were watching the clock to try and get the guy doing the yellow jersey to win it. And mm-hmm. they've just given up now and just accepted it and embraced it. And it's it's become a really cool part. And that's all it could have been. Two minutes, three minutes of that. Um, oh, What was the cyclist compare's name? Um, whoever, that guy. I really liked uh, um, him speaking. He was really good. He could have just explained it and, and I've been like, okay, sweet. Move on. I love like watching the tour each year, how they've, they've tried like different formats for the race as well. Like they've moved where that final individual time trial is. They've put like team time trials in. It is cool that it's not just the exact same, the exact same course, the exact same, like, okay, we've got a time trial, then we've got six sprints, then we've got a mountain and then we've got this, like, it's slightly different every year. And I miss the team time trial. I missed the team time trial. That was fun. It was the one stage where it was like, this is 100% a team sport. Yeah. And I think it worked well that they had an individual team trial, a time trial, and then they had a team one. Like, yep. it, I th- yeah, I'd, I'd love them to put it back because they, I haven't seen one for a couple of years. Yeah, it's been three or four years, I think, since they had it last. Yeah. I can't remember when they had it last. I, I hope they bring it back. Yeah. And I like that they... um. They didn't really, they did touch on it a little bit, but it's not even the same stages. Mm-hmm. There's the same points. Like there's a cobblestone stage in most years. You've got to go over the, um, the Aldo, uh, Alpe d'Huez. Yeah, that one. You've got to go over that. Doesn't matter. Every tour goes over that. It might be the 20th stage, the 12th stage, the 15th stage. It might be somewhere around there, but you have to get over that. But even like when they do have those key mountains, they don't always go up the exact same path. Like they'll take a different road up that mountain each time, which is cool. Yeah. I think with that mountain, it doesn't matter which way you go up. It's going to suck regardless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like sometimes they'll come up from one side, go down the other side, and then the next year they'll go the other way. And it's, yeah. It's cool that they do change it up a bit. And it doesn't start. It's not all in France. It starts in like Denmark sometimes and ducks into London. Um, yeah. London was weird. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I didn't think I liked that. I think that was too. I think that was too out there. Too far? Yeah. Leave it in mainland Europe. It's fine. And like, I like it when it's at a joining country because it makes sense that, oh yeah, we'll, yeah. we could physically ride this entire course, even yeah. though there are stages where they're like, oh, we took a day off and we traveled down here. Yeah. And then to close to, I love that they captured like the emotion of the tour as well, particularly on that final time trial where Vindegaard intentionally slowed down to let Wout finally get his stage win. Yeah. I think that was a great sort of display of the team camaraderie aspect. Especially after he just murdered himself getting up that hill. So mm-hmm. like that was, yeah, that really did, did show that, yeah, okay, I'm the one that's going to win, but I'm going to give this to my mate because of what he's done and, and show you that it is a team sport. And without it, I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am. And I have the minutes on Pogacar to do this, so, yeah. They didn't mention in the show, but, like, yeah, each each stage has a little, like, cash bonus that they get given, whether it's, like, a team agreement that we then split that between the team or if, like, the individual keeps it is a different story. But for Vindegaard to intentionally slow down and be like, okay, I don't want this, you can have it because of what you did, is, like, he's literally taking money out of his own pocket to give to his teammate. Yeah. That was a really good time trial for Vindegaard because he's not a noted time trialist and yeah and then he was at the verge of winning it and was like ah, oh, i don't need to go this fast i'm just gonna slow right down 
I thought he, I mean, I knew that he didn't, but when he come around that corner and almost clipped that wall and had a little skid, I was like, oh. <laughs> That's another thing. These guys are crazy bike handlers too. Like riding those bikes in the wet across painted lines. It's cool. Oh, that first time trial. Holy Jesus. That was, that would have been scary. Every corner you're like, I'm going to stack it. Oh, jeez. But I think you, you touched on it just there, and I think that's what works. Uh, that's what worked on this one as opposed to uh, this one and the F1. It wasn't money-driven. Like the F1, obviously, yes, it was, but at the same time, it really wasn't. Like it, whereas, and this one, I don't think they touched on prize money once. I don't think they told us at all how it did. Whereas the, the tennis one was, it's $2 million to win this event, and the golf one, yeah, well, yeah, I will, we'll leave that one alone. Is ridiculous amounts of money to come fifth. Like, okay. Yeah, I don't I don't want to hijack this one and rant about that that one again. So yeah, but I think they did really well in that it was this is a sport about the racing. It's about the race. It's about the team. It's about getting to the for seventy percent of the tour, it's about just making it to the end. Yeah. It's not even about winning or well, obviously it's always about winning and losing, but it's just about getting to the end. If you're one of the team members, if you're the fifth team member or the sixth team member, your whole job is just to sit in the peloton and protect your leader and then just make it to the end so you can do that every stage. Mm. Collect the drink bottles, collect the food, sit in the wind. 21 stages of 120 k, 20 kilometres a stage, uphills over 24 days. You get three rest days? Yep. Yeah, three weeks with a rest day in between each one. Mate, I ride 20 minutes a day and, like, if I do it a week in a row, I'm like, oh, my God, my body hurts. My legs hurt. (laughs) And even, like, they're rest days, but they don't don't take the day off. No, they do a 90-kilometer run. I've seen them say, like, yeah, if you actually take a full rest day, you won't be able to go the next day. Your body will seize up and be like, nope. (laughs) What got me so much and I didn't realize it, how much time they spend on their bike outside of riding like if they're going from their bus to the start line they ride the bike mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just walk like you're going to be on it for the next six hours <laughs> that's why they got the padded the padded shorts oh geez and they're getting they go and get on the on the bike before with the ice vest on to keep cool but the stationary bike like they're just on a bike all the time surprising their sleep their legs aren't just rolling around and... yeah that uh those uh masseuse and the physios they uh definitely earn their money those blokes 100 percent. yeah all righty that's a uh, tour de france unchained in terms of rating what would you give this series out of five i give it a four yeah i gave it four yeah left themselves plenty of room to sort of expand and improve in season two hopefully ideally we spend a bit more money on voice acting <laughs> it was honestly out of the five that we've got so far of these is my second favorite so yeah it's done really good of the four netflix ones yeah this is probably my second favorite and hopefully quickly jumping up there after a couple more seasons where they can sort of get into it and the teams now can sort of see okay it's not a huge like burden and impact on our racing yeah i i, I think i could see it overtaking formula one in in my eyes anyway that might not be for everybody, but I could definitely see it becoming something that I, I do look forward to and, and, and watch. Yeah. 100% keen for season two. So, but in the meantime, we get to watch a full Tour de France 
over July. Hopefully it's a good one so that we can get a good unchained. Yeah, we need we need lots of sort of competitive racing and a few controversial moments. If Pogacar just comes out and murders the field, it won't be quite as exciting. <laughs> Especially if he's not involved in season two. I hope he is. Yeah. Because he I hope he is too. pretty prominent in season one without getting a starring role. So I hope they can get him get him in there and talk to him. Alrighty. Thank you everyone for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow Ben on Instagram at BJD517. And you can follow me on social media at Jamyaps Media and at Ario Magazine. Thanks for jumping on, Ben, and we'll chat to you next time there's a crazy sports documentary, most likely. Most probably. Cheers. Thanks for having me. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.